Coffee with the Coastie is brought to you by On the Coast Publications, the publishing house for On the Coast families and On the Coast over 55 community magazines on the central coast of New South Wales. In this interview, we talk about the topic of suicide. Should you or someone you know need support, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or find a support service online at ruok.org.au forward slash find help. Welcome to Coffee with the Coastie. I had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Luke Grant, personal coach and proud Waradjuri man, about mental health, exercise and his own journey. We talk about the positive impact he sees physical health play in the role of someone's mental health as he strives to help men over 30 regain control of their health so they can live a life of purpose. So, mate, first, I read, you've already spoke about a little bit, that you're a proud Wiradjuri man. Yep. So, I'd like to say Yemma. And hopefully I don't get this wrong. Gawayambanya. No. <laughs> Let's try that again. Gawambanya. 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 Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. So there's a, there's a few different ways you can say hello in Wiradjuri. So Yama is one of them. It's pretty generalized across the, the, the I suppose, the state. Yama. Yama, yeah. Yama is yeah. pretty much publicly used as a, as a welcoming and hello in most, in most nations, which is what we call our tribes. We call them nations. It's modernized, but it's, it's called nations. But we use, when I taught, was taught, it was Yuridamurang, so which is good day. Oh, yeah. So Yuridamurang. So if I was going to say hello to somebody that was in my course that I did, yeah. I'd say Yuridamurang. And then you can follow on by saying Yamadamurang, like how are you? Yeah, so there's there's a few different ways, but yeah, Yama's still good, and I'll I'll take that Yama. one. <laughs> Very good, because there was some that I come across, and I'm like, like as I said, welcome, Gayambanya. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard that one. Haven't yeah? No. What about, I had also Mandangu. Mandangu is um. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. yeah. Mandangu. Um, so thank you for joining me. Nah, Mandangu. pleasure. Absolute pleasure, mate. I feel a big part of why we do what we do as we get older is because of the events that occurred throughout our life's journey. It's definitely what's brought me here. Could you share some of your story from growing up in Kyogi, Kyogul? Uh, Kyogul. Kyogul? Yep. And losing your father at nine yep. years old to your football career that when researching, you might, I didn't realize how far your football career actually went. That's it's pretty amazing. And beyond and how this journey has shaped you to become the person you are today. Wow, Big diving question. right into it, yeah, yeah. Kyogle was a little town. I grew up in Kyogle because my father was a, a professional footballer himself. And he, back in them days, they, they didn't go overseas. So when you retired, there was no going over to England. There wasn't, you know, the big money grab to go over to England and finish off your career there or... There wasn't too many opportunities to sort of go into what other football players do, like they go into ambassadors or something yeah. along the lines of that. So dad was, I think he finished up in 86, 87, and I was born in 85. So it was only like one or two when we decided to move to Kyogle. So it was a captain coach role. So for the local team there, he took on the role to be the captain and the coach the team. But it was a bit more than that. He was, he was a very solid community man. Like he brought the community together massively in Kyogle. 
um, always picking people up for training and mm. being involved with all the local raffles and lots of stuff. So I think it was only like, oh man, two or 3,000 people. But that's like, you know, including the outskirts of Kyogle as well. So there wasn't a very big amount of people living in Kyogle at the time. And how it was, how it was, you know, like it was a country town. There was so many good people there. Made, you know, made some really good friends at a younger age. I worked on a dairy farm when I was like 11 or 12. I was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to mm. work on a dairy farm. That'd create discipline at 11 or Yeah. And look, I, I probably did it more so because dad died when I was nine. And that was a very hard time because there was five of us, five kids, mum by herself, no family there. Obviously, we had the community, mm. but there's nothing like family when it comes to that sort of stuff. So I was like, I was working. I was just working to help mum out, really. And we all did. We all did our thing. So in terms of the way it shaped me, it probably gave me a lot of discipline with, with the way I am, like work ethics. Growing up in a country town, it makes me a bit more humble and a bit more grateful for things because you always, you never really got given anything. You always had to fight for it. You always had to make your own fun. It was always down the swimming hole. There wasn't a beach there, so there wasn't, there wasn't any McDonald's. There wasn't any arcades. There was no, like, computer games and have a phone. Yeah. So created our own fun, really. It was great. When I think back and think uh, back to my childhood, I, I, I have all these great memories of happiness. So the transition, it was from going from the Central Coast to, ah, sorry, from Kyogle to the Central Coast. It was a hard one. Massive culture shock in terms of how fast-paced the Central Coast is compared to that, like to compared to that country style. And they had to adapt pretty quickly. And, you know, we moved down here when I was 14. I was in year nine. Everybody that were at my school that I like, I was luckily that I had cousin, a cousin, a very close cousin that we um very close in age, like eighteen days apart. Mm. I was very lucky I had him to sort of go to school with, but all my other siblings didn't. It was hard for them, harder for them. So yeah, the transition was was that around that time. I'm uh, just trying to think back to the question you asked. You know, like leading how, into how did it shape you? Because I know I think I did read yeah that. Because you did struggle coming to the Central Coast. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did. And then how the different events that have occurred have given you, I suppose, when I think about it, and we'll get into that, is like a lot of what you do is helping other men. Mm. And so I think that there must have been events throughout that journey that oh, make look, you the person you are today. Losing my father was huge, man. Yeah. At nine. Like, I, I know other people are in harder situations than me, but my dad was a big, big, important part of my life. From Because I, I remember always being with him, you know. I emulated him. I was always wanting to hang out with him. You know, dad was a professional rugby league player. Like, mm. all I wanted to do was play rugby league because of him. And he also, watching him do what he did for the community, you know, like it shaped me, yeah. programmed me to be like that. So a big part of the reason why I am today is because of him. I think there's a, there's a, some science behind from zero to nine, you're shaped subconsciously. Yeah, well, that's what they say, give me a child from zero to yeah. seven. I even think Hitler said that, didn't yeah. <laughs> Well, I think a few people have said it. Yeah, and, yeah. But, but, but yeah, same concept. A lot of smart minds have said it. Yeah. Not that Hitler's smart, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
In terms of shaping me from a very early age, my father, big time, big time. Having to transition to the Central Coast at the age of 14, leaving all my friends behind was hard because it, there's no... 14 is a very developmental age too, like to, to be swept out like that. Yeah. And look, I didn't stay in contact with friends, more so because you had to pick the home phone up to call them. It wasn't mm. texting. It wasn't any of that. It would have been long distance back then it was, too. Yeah, and it was they like... paid long pay, distance. There was no way that we could afford it. Yeah. Mum was on her own. Yeah. So I left all that behind. Yeah. I left. I also left a lot of my culture behind. So yeah. I'm a First Nations man and a lot of my culture that I grew up with, singing, dancing, all that sort of stuff that I did with all my local mates in Kyogle was lost. Because when I, when I moved to the Central Coast, there was none of that. There was no culture. I, I was the only Aboriginal kid in my class mm. in, my, in, in my whole year, sorry. I went to St. Peter's. It was Mother Day at the time in 1999. But it, turned, it transitioned to St. Peter's the year after, and then I, I finished up. So I only did like a year and a half of school down here. Yeah. But yeah, like I was lucky to have my cousin, and I met a few people through the football club because I joined the f- local football club, started surfing when I first got down here. So I went from a country boy to being able to surf after that. So I lived a, a bit of a mixture in that way. And I, see, I suppose I just continued on being a leader like my father, continuing helping people just I honestly just think through that that early programming yeah. that I'd had because I was always the captain of my footy team well mostly well and that's what I'd read your father was the first captain of Canberra yeah the inaugural, inaugural inaugural captain, captain of, of, of the Canberra. Canberra Raiders which is massive like when you think about yeah. indigenous opportunities back in those days like in the early 80s to be like would have been huge back then yeah yeah, yeah he was natural born leader and I feel like that come from his father who I've never met he unfortunately died at a young age too and that's you know going back to that question about what's shaping me like I you know the traumas shaped me you know watching my dad go for a heart attack and hearing that his dad went for a heart attack I'm then now going health 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 I need to look after myself make sure that I don't put my kids for that pain one day mm. I'm gonna get he if he was rugby and stuff or league that he was quite a healthy man though he was and he wasn't so yes he was fit and he was strong and he played rugby league and yeah. he was active but from from what i can understand from what i've seen and also from what i've heard from other people he didn't really he partied hard yeah uh he smoked he drank a lot so there was other, that other side as well yeah, yeah so it's yeah, all yeah. good and well moving yeah, yeah and being yeah. active and being a you know, professional rugby league player, but yeah. if it's if you don't have all those other toxins coming in, yeah, they outweigh yeah. that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that wasn't always going to be in his favour. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And having his father die of a heart attack too, so it's a bit of hereditary. So moving into more so, you know, later teens, early twenties, I just, I just also always dived myself into hard, hard stuff. If I wanted a hard training session, I'd always do it myself or I would always try and eat good. I remember going away for football all the time and there'd always be some some, some strange reason. There'd always be like a McDonald's or a healthy option, like a Subway. And I would always be the only player or one of the only players that would go the healthy option. It was just ingrained into me. I don't know. It's interesting that and like I'm 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 not that. I wish I was that. Like I beat myself up nearly every day not being that. In fact you just recently in the last twenty four hours, forty eight hours or something, posted something about that. 
yeah. and about making that decision yes. and about being the person, don't wait till Monday, make that decision and do, you know, don't wait till Monday. You just It's now that you make that decision. Yeah. I think it was something like that along those lines. For sure. And I was just thinking to myself, hmm, I just looked at the McDonald's app and found I had a special on today and <laughs> like, you know, and delete the app <laughs> yeah you know like it, it, i was reading it going oh no he's talking to me <laughs> yeah yeah. you know because i also know that like is it jocko yeah um he's got a whole thing discipline equals freedom which i completely agree with like, yeah if you can be disciplined in the areas that you're talking about you get freedom in other areas and and yeah and anyway i'm that person you're speaking to you know and it, it's very interesting that and I admire people like yourself to be honest that are able to do that. Like I'm like yeah. I'm really, where I really pick someone like that's brain, you know, and go, what is the thinking behind that? Or what, what actually creates that discipline? And I think some of it is exactly as you say, yep. it's that upbringing between zero and nine. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. It's also mindset. So that Jocko, he does a lot of mindset work. Mm. And for me, it's already you know I've already programmed for it, so it's a lot easier for me. But for mm. somebody that sort of hasn't been programmed, they've been you know programmed the opposite way. Mm. It's always going to be a hard thing. It's a daily thing. It's like mm. anybody with an addiction. It's a daily thing for them mm. to not pick up. Correct, yeah. So you always got to be working on it. It comes easy for me, but there's still times where I, I find it hard to make decisions like that. Yeah. It, all, it, it all depends on how I am in my headspace. If I'm having a bad week, there's no way I'm, I'm going to be perfect. You always got to be working on it. It's, it's a hard thing. You know, life, life's not hard, man. But yeah. in terms of um, mindset around that you know, decision-making with nutrition... It's like you got to make a decision. Are you like living to eat or are you, are you living to eat? Or do you eat to live? You know what I mean? Mm. So like you can either make a decision that you want to eat to survive or to thrive or do you absolutely love food so much that you want it all the time? It's just like it's a different mindset to have. I don't care sometimes how things taste, mm. but I know if they're good for me, I'll eat it. You've been able to program yourself to that. Like, this doesn't yeah. taste that good, but I know it's yeah. good for me, so I'll push it. I know it. that's not everybody's cup of tea, and it's hard no. to sort of think about that. And there's always opportunities to make food taste good, but yeah. I have a different mindset. Like, I'll just go and eat raw vegetables sometimes because I know they're going to be making well, me better. Raw vegetables actually taste all right. Like, <laughs> my son won't eat cooked carrot. You know what I mean? He'll only eat raw carrot. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, and you eat, and, and funnily enough, when you eat, when I, now when it happens, and I'll eat the, the raw carrot and eat the cooked carrot. I'm like, you know what? The raw carrot's actually got a lot more flavour in it than the cooked carrot. You know, <laughs> you almost boil the or steam the, yeah, the yeah, flavour out of a carrot. The flavour and maybe the nutrients out you know? as well. Yeah, but that's like speaking of mindset and, and the mind and and our thoughts. Basically, I read on one of your Instagram posts, and I couldn't believe the luck of this man that you ran into. You write, it's five forty a.m. at Shelley Beach. You were checking the surf and you're approached by a First Nations man who you engaged in a conversation with. You showed him empathy towards his struggles and asked him if he had a plan to kill himself. You then mentioned how he opened up to you. You then go on to say how this approach was taught to you in mental health training and how it is okay to ask someone that you were concerned about. Now, if I feel this is would be such a difficult question for many to ask. Can you share how to approach someone you feel is not okay. Yeah, this particular time was was a was a strange one because, you know, life's sometimes life's about timing. I think and life's I feel like, very much about timing. Yeah, very much. And this guy obviously 
for some reason had to be um, introduced to me that morning. Yep. In some way. So yeah, it was quite early. It was it was a really strange moment, man. Like when I think back to it now, it sort of doesn't make me super emotional, but it makes me think that you know I helped this guy actually <laughs> sort of like try to stop him from killing himself, and like basically stopped him, you know. So he he approached me, and I sort of felt like there was something not right. And I'd already done a fair bit of suicide prevention work with Yaron when I was working with Yaron. Mm. And there's always that, that daunting question that sort of not many people like to ask, but you sort of have to when mm. you feel like somebody's on the verge of having suicidal tendencies. And yeah, man, like I just, when I think back, it was just like, it just come out so naturally. I just sort of just said, hey man, like are you, are you planning on hurting yourself or going to kill yourself? And the way that he looked at me, it was like, it's like he's, I don't know, it's like he looked right through me. Mm. sort of scenarios to say oh somebody cares about me or mm. somebody wants to know if I do and he did he actually was going to go around the corner and I don't know how he was going to do it but mm. he sort of said yeah I'm planning to go do that right now and it made me sort of go I don't know it was it's really hard to put into words how I felt about the situation but obviously there was relief there and he gravitated towards me for some reason mm. and I got him help you know, I'd stayed with him. The best thing is to do if somebody does have a plan to kill himself is to stay with him until they get help, like an ambulance or a family member or something like that. But having that confidence to sort of say, do you have a plan mm. and knowing when to say it is probably the best thing I took out of that training, that mental health training. And I'll be forever grateful for that because oh, yeah. I, th- I don't know where he would have, he probably, he probably wouldn't be alive Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for that. And I, I don't know how he is now, but I do hope he has got the help that he needed. But, you know, it does take that one day, that particular day, that you can save somebody and they can be better for the rest of their life. There's, a, there's heaps of stories like that. Mm. There's a guy that runs this um, Instagram page called The Shucker. I think it's called The Shucker Project or something like that. He, same thing, he tried to kill himself once and it was in a car going towards a tree and there was like a sump pole with oil sump pole something that sort of made him skid out of the way from it. It's a like powerful podcast he's done about it. And it veered off. And then from that moment on, because he had that realization that he was actually at that, that point, that tipping point, he then decided to fix himself up. And now he's helping people around Australia. Men's mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that particular day that it's done that for that guy. And for yeah, anybody out powerful. there that is listening, if you are confronted by somebody or in in a conversation with somebody or dealing with somebody that's around that sort of in that headspace mm. ask them do you, do you have a plan to kill yourself it's very very confronting and very hard to do but probably the most powerful thing you can do i think because like without some training and without some understanding getting the answer back like you gotta mate actually i am yeah not knowing what to do with that yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so not, not knowing can... what to do is is obviously probably because most times you've been in shock. Yeah. Always show empathy. Always show them that you care. Have you have to stay with them? Um, you know, even not, if that's sitting forcefully. in silence. Yeah, just shadow them. Yeah. It, it'd be hard to hear that, especially if somebody you know or family member. Mm. It'd be hard to hear it. 
but you, the best thing to do is to stay with them, really. Yeah. You, you're not going to... Um, that's that's basically the only thing you do, really. Like, yeah, 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 you can't yeah. try to talk them out of it. That's right. And you can't say, oh, what? this is going to be so bad for your family or what about it? You can't do that. Like, that's another thing. You can't yeah. sort of give them a scenario. You just got to show them empathy and be there. Like, Don't just, try to give advice. Don't, yeah, don't. Don't try and talk them out of it. Don't yep. try and be the expert. Yeah. Just be the listener. Yep, yep. Yeah. Great advice. And on that, you created, hopefully I pronounced this correctly, Wallowin. Wallowin, yeah. Which I found means healing and good health. So that's... Yep. That's to be in good order. To be in good order. Is that basically yeah, yeah. That's what it is? So Wallowin, to be in good order. It's a free six-week movement and mental health program for First Nations peoples. Can you share more about this? Yeah, I started this program off, it was probably just come about when COVID hit really, knowing how powerful it is to be online and to, to get across to people without having to be in, in person. So I'd done a 12-week, a it was called Yarenfit at the time. So it was like basically just Zoom classes of getting people to move. Was and that with Yaren? Yeah, it was with Yaren. So I wasn't yeah. working for Yaren at the time, it was just a program that I run for them. Yeah throughout the COVID period. There was people that lost weight, there was people that improved their mental health. So for me, it was a situation where I wouldn't mind continuing this on because the movement side of things is so powerful and then I wanted to attach a couple other different things to it like connection to country, connection to family, mindfulness practices. So trying to have that aspect of an overall health in one place that people can do online that was more the concept of it. And at the time, I was training somebody one-on-one. His name's James, another Indigenous man. And he, uh, he, he knows all that space. Like he's, he runs an um, IT recruiting company up in Newcastle. And we just, just brainstormed a few different ideas and, and created it. Yeah. We created it just off the back of an idea, but now it's a product. So it took a while, like to critique it all and get all the videos done and get all the website done. But at the moment, it's like in trial sort of phase. Yeah. So we're sort of just, yeah, getting some data on it at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, the program itself goes for six weeks. Every day you'll get a text message in the morning. That text message will have a link on the text message. You press on the link, it'll take you to the video of what you need to do for the day. You tick it off and, you know, sometimes you might not, might not be able to get to it. But if you can get to most things, because it's structured to be like a Monday to Sunday scenario where you'll do a movement one day and then mindfulness. So if you can tick it off for the whole week, the idea of it is to be a better human and I feel like it'll do that for you. Mm. Yeah. How long's the, like each day, some 15 minutes, some an hour? Sometimes, so. yeah, exactly. Sometimes it'll just be a quick little check-in. Yeah. So, mate, some of, the, some of the stuff is just prompt you to reach out to family. And yeah. the people that have been through it already that we've had the feedback from, there's like, there's family members that the people haven't spoken to in two years and they're now reconnected. You know, yeah. it's like, and that's, that's great feedback. Yeah. And that's what it was all about, really. Yeah, the movement side of things is great, like getting people moving and getting their health better, but just having that family connection. You don't even have to be Indigenous to have that as well. Uh-huh. You know, like it's, it's a program that we originally said for just Indigenous people, but I feel like it could be sort of spread out to non-Indigenous people as well. Heading on from Wallon, you've also, which I believe is since COVID or in the middle of COVID as well, created a, a men's fitness group that's targeted at those over 30. Um, 
why did you choose that specific age group and can you share what this group is all about and the impact it is having? Uh, yeah, so I created Wallowin and the men's group all on the basis of some of the stuff that I've gone through the last few years. So I've lost two really close cousins, first cousins to suicide. And those, uh, those two deaths are really sort of the main reason, really. Like men, men struggle on the daily. Mm. And I suppose like the last few years, it's been, you know, been popularized by the stats. So like, I, you know, I started the men's group on the basis of trying to help men from the trauma that I have experienced with those two deaths. Which rocked me because the, the first one happened and he was only like, oh, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think he was only like 26, 27. Yeah. And I think Reggie, one of them was the cousin that you actually become good friends with when you first Well, they were both the really Coast. good friends. So the first yeah. one, Reggie, like I, I got him a start at Newcastle Knights. He moved from Queensland. And, you know, after the years went by, he made friends there and he stayed in Newcastle and we'd see each other every now and then, but not as close as... I wanted to be, you know, mm. I had my family. He lived with me for a while yeah. while I was working away. So I worked away for a while and he lived with me. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was a big shock. Big shock to get that phone call. I, um, yeah, and then got rocked again a couple of years later with my cousin, like my, like both of them are first cousins, but mm. the cousin, Jacob, the one that um, committed suicide, most recent one, mm. I was with him every day. Mm. If I wasn't with him, I was on the phone to him. Mm. And he's the one that I went to school with when I first moved down here. He's the one that I always surfed with, played football with, against. And that was, yeah, that was a really hard moment of my life, which, again, shaped me. Going back to that first question, it's really shaped me who I am. Because you can go one way or the other, really. Mm. You can be depressed over it and have trauma. Or you can look at the positives that it was in his life and try and better anybody else that's going to go through that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the men's group is, is something that I started as a little side gig at the start of the year. And it's going really strong. It's turned into something more than it's a side turned, gig. It's turned into something a lot more than a side yeah. gig. So it's so rewarding, man, like watching the men change. You know, like I'd get them, get them at the early stages of hasn't been either haven't been in the gym for a very long time or just starting out, and you just see their aura just develop in such a positive way. Mm. It's so rewarding for me. Like it is my job, but I don't call it a job because I just it's so rewarding, and I see all these changes in these men, and and then you see their wives at the school, the drop offs, and you can they're, they're like saying hi to you even more so, and it's like. <laughs> I know why you're saying hi to me because your, your husband's more happier yeah. and more present. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's huge for me. That's, it's, the training's great, but that stuff, that other stuff, the text yeah. messages I get, the people that wanting to sort of, you know, say hello to me more, like that's, yeah. that's where it's at for me, man. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot. There was quite a bit where, where there's guys commenting or you sharing like experiences you had where this is my why, you know, and it's someone yeah. thanking you for helping them in some way. Yeah. yeah. And again, going back to dad, it's got to, he's got to play a massive part in that because mm. me like remembering him helping people out, 
uh, get to training and making sure they're all right, giving yeah. them, give them money, you know, like all yeah. that sort of stuff comes yeah, back yeah, yeah. to that, really. That's so actually just, I think when I was waiting for you, actually, it was Facebook scrolling a little bit, which I know we'll probably get to that, but um, there was a, a comment, someone had posted something about, talking about giving, it was one of the Hepburns or something, and she was talking about her experience as a child and her and her father in the line at the circus and there was a family in front of her that had five kids or eight kids plus the husband and wife and the husband got told how much the tickets were going to cost and he couldn't um, realize he couldn't afford tickets for this circus. Like This was year, many years ago. And Hepburn and her father were behind him and he dropped his $20. Hepburn's father dropped the tw- put the $20 on the ground and picked it up and said, hey, mate, I think you've dropped this out of your pocket and gave him the money to be able to pay for his family to go to the circus. Yeah, nice. But it actually turned out that her and her father couldn't actually afford to go to the circus now, so they went home. But he'd given his money to that family to be able to go to the circus. Yeah. And you talking about giving reminds me of that. Just yeah, happened to yeah. read that, you know. And, I'm, and and in reading that, you get a bit emotional, yeah. You're like, you know, that that's that's. It is what it's about. In yeah, many it ways. is. It, it's but selfless it's, acts. It's, it's it's. I don't know. It's what it's like. We've, I think, we've, as a community, as a whole, in some ways, just from what I've experienced, I feel like that's been lost a little bit. Mm. Oh, for just sure. with life demands, man. Like, well, that's what, we're all fighting to stay, like you know. Yeah, that's why I was really good growing up. A little bit, you know, a little bit. Yeah, and that's why I was like humble about growing up in a country town because I experienced mm. like stuff, you know. There wasn't there wasn't too much of that going on. There was more people. Going, I'll come over and do your lawns and you can do this for me, you know, like a bit of a trade-off deals. And it's funny, like you reference that as a country town. I reference that as the Central Coast. Like I grew up in Western Sydney um, and we moved here just on six years ago. And for me, the community that's here on the Central Coast feels a bit like that, or does feel like that, right? And that's why it's nice to be around people like yourself that are creating those communities because I feel like oh my kids like being near the beach and growing up with mm. a bit more of a community where one another know each other and yeah, people yeah. help each other out and where I didn't uh, by the time we left Sydney I didn't feel like that was like that yeah and feel like we're developing that here it's funny how like Kyogle there was well I'm not sure about Kyogle now but there was a massive community there yeah and then it gets like a little tiny bit less when you get the Central Coast but then when you get to Sydney it's all gone and mm. then it gets reversed so you come back from Sydney if you were to go to Kyogle from now yeah. you'd probably get that community even more so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the smaller the smaller population the more community yeah. yeah yeah no definitely definitely so you, you spoke about normalizing men needing emotional sport and trying to do this without them feeling weak can be challenging you know i think i've mentioned to you in, in our conversation i've personally sought help and i'm feeling so much better for it to be honest though it took me many years to get to the point where i was like you know what let me just go and seek help and just see speak to someone and do whatever that entails but it's been my exposure to the amazing people that i've got to sit down and chat with that i've then gone on to respect because they've shared what they've shared with me that's made me go, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think everybody gets the the um, the privilege of being able to be in that circle to be able to go, actually, no, it's all right for me to go and ask for help. I'm not. It's not a weak moment or it's not a thing. In fact, to be honest, since seeking that, I feel much stronger than I've ever felt mentally, like 
to that point. Like, but yet the thought of going and doing that can make someone feel weak. And I know we've come a long way since 50 years ago, though what more do you feel can be done to normalize men reaching out for help? Yeah, that's a loaded, yeah, loaded yeah. question, man. It's funny, hey, like we've got more suicide deaths in men than we've ever had, mm. but we've got the most amount ever, psychologists, psychiatrists. Oh, it's crazy. And drugs it's, available. It's booked out ever. till the cows come home. Yeah. You know, like it's... it's um... So in terms of, you know, creating creating eligibility and the confidence and all that sort of stuff to be able to fix yourself, it does come within, but it's also creating a space for that as well. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe there's enough space out there for men to open up like that and to be able to fix themselves in that way. So like I've got my, my thing. I use movement and yeah. some breathing and some ice baths and stuff to get that out of the men. But another, another huge thing that I can never ever do enough of because it's just really hard to sort of coordinate everybody to go away. When we went out and uh, did a night out in the stars, mate, that was so powerful. I've done it a couple of times now. It's part of our program, but it's just, like I said, it's hard to get everybody to sort of line up. Everyone's got commitments, yeah, family yeah. commitments, this, that. But when we do do it, there's some stuff out there that happens that potentially could save lives or if not make the person better for a very long time. So mm. opening up in front of men is huge, but, but trying to find that. There's not many places. Non-judgmental environment. Non-judgmental, non-judgmental, in a safe space, out in the open, around a fire, nothing yeah. better really. Yeah. And that you don't, like, honestly, you don't need a group like mine to be able to do that. To have the confidence to go to your mates, let's go have a camping trip. Let's go talk about our shit. Like, the needs, that needs to be normalized. Mm, 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 mm. And for that to be normalized... Things like my men's group and other places like the Shaka guy and all that. There needs to be more of it. Mm. There needs to be heaps more. We need to bring that stat down, man. Mm. Right, seven, yeah, on average, seven point something, whatever it is. Seven guys die a day per day so in Australia. Seven men die every single day in Australia. Wow, I didn't know that was a stat. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. It should be zero, but... Yeah, well, yeah. Seven's massive. And that, you know, like that's that's a driving force for me to try and help that stat. I want to make people stronger and I want to make them fitter and I want to make them be better for their families. But I'm also a massive driver for me is trying to help people not kill themselves. So to answer your question probably, man, like to try and fix yourself, not to that capacity, but more so from a general health consensus you've got to be open to things and you've got to be able to push yourself like i've got a lot of guys in my men's group at the moment if i didn't call them they wouldn't be in my men's group so that to me is a lot of people are on the verge of trying to help themselves but don't want to take the steps to do it it's like that that post i did right don't start monday yeah because everybody will go it'll come around and you'll want to start the following monday like start right now like, mm. what are you doing right now to be the best version of yourself? Are you going to bed on time? Are you eating the best food you can? Are you, like, letting all the stresses get to you? Like, something so small can get to you, but it's, like, so irrelevant sometimes. Mm. Are you breathing into things? Like, sometimes when we breathe, we breathe into our chest, and that creates a lot of anxiety. 
You need to bring your breath down into your stomach. Focus on that. So there's so many little things that can lead to big things. The small wins are where it's at. All these small little wins can develop into big wins. So if you start right now, like start your journey right now, like wherever you're sitting right now, make some steps towards it. And then the, every time you do something small, it could lead you to sign up to a boot camp or lead you to whatever you want to do. But just trying to uh, create that confidence, man. Like males are where the like the biggest self doubters. We are. Like we've got this big macho thing about us, big egotistical sort of feel. But most of us are just not that. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're providers as well. Like we provide. So there's a lot of expectations around that. So there's a lot of pressures that make us not want to sort of work on ourselves. But it's just the small stuff, man. Because you can feel like potentially that you've got to give up yourself for others to be able to support others or something, is that? Yeah, that, like, time's a big thing. You're like, fine. helping the family out with, with whatever's needed at home, like, whether it's yeah. kids-related or dinner or washing, whatever. Yeah. That's hard because, like, you do need to be present in that way, and that's why I created the men's group to be 5 a.m.s because nobody's up, no, nobody's really up at 5 a.m. Yeah. And creates a bit of mental resilience. Including a lot of the men. <laughs> Sorry? Including a lot of the men. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's five or six. You yeah, know, sometimes yeah. you get some people in the six, but mostly they come at five, get yeah, over yeah. and done with, so they can be home in the afternoon. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a tough one, man. Like, like I've got five kids. Yeah. I know what it's like to have to provide at home, but yeah. I also do my stuff. I also make sure that I'm prioritizing my health because I need to be there for them, short-term and long-term. You know, I need to be strong, I need to be healthy mm. so I can play with them, they can work as hard as I can. But also look at my longevity stuff as well. Like I always make sure I'm being functional and do it. Like I don't drink anymore. Because like, when I'm in my 80s, I want to be doing what I'm doing right now. Mm. I want to be showing my grandkids how to train. But not only showing them, doing it with them. Yeah. That's, you know, my philosophy is always longevity and always has been. Just from that pain of losing my dad, man. That's, that was huge. I, it would be, uh... And I've been injured a lot. I've been injured so many times. Well, the injuries ended your football career, basically. Yeah, they yeah? did. Like, from what I understand. Yep. They, they massively did. And that, Matt, like... How do you train with so many injuries? Like, I mean, I, I could sit in, obviously, I'm in no shape like you, right? And I could sit in now and go, which it is, my shoulder's playing up, this and that. How have you trained around injuries, obviously, to get to where you are? These days, I just, I know what to do to yeah. fix it. And I don't have the pressure like I did back then with football to do it quick to yeah. get back on the field. So if I've got a niggle, I'll work on it until I'm fine. I'll work around it. Like I'll have the knowledge to sort of do other stuff to to be able to train mm-hmm. through it. But back then, man, it was get me back on the field as quick as you can, needled up, surgery, whatever they could get to. Yeah. And I was I was a young young man trying to play NRL. So all I wanted to do was make them happy. I sacrificed a lot of my, my body. But yeah, I think it was my ninth or tenth operation at 21 when I retired. 22. Operation on what? Oh, man. Oh, so not Knees, one particular thing. Shoulders, just thumb, jaw, groins. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just the surgeries too. It was the ligament tears, the disc bulges, the stress fractures. Like I, I think I, on average, played eight or, not, eight or nine games a whole season. 
and that happened, you know, three or four seasons back to back. And I feel in some ways I was pushed really early as well. Like I was 19, 20 playing front row in reserve grades. I was playing against men. Probably a big part of that is you wanted to be pushed to. Yeah, your look, your father, yeah, exactly. You, you know, the pressures of stepping. Yeah, that you put on yourself to Walking in the same steps as dad. You were happy to be pushed. Yeah. But I tell you one thing right now is like, I have, like, sounds like I'm floating my own boat, but I will have to say this. I've got a lot of resilience because I've had mm. a lot of shit things happen to me over the last few years. Mm. Like the suicides are nothing compared to some of the other things that happened. Mm. And me pushing myself into those training sessions and being injured and facing all those adversities has really sort of shaped my me as well. Like going to that original question. Mm. I, don't, I don't recommend anybody go and get injured. I'm mm. just telling you where I am now is from all the adversity that I've, that I've faced has created this resilience in me that like I I'm, I'm, I don't give up too easy. Yeah. And it's interesting that like I've had, I've spoken to a life coach, Kerry Devonport actually, and I had this similar a question that I'm going to ask because I'm curious now because you have had so much adversity happen, right? And you're sort of saying, oh, I'm glad because now it's built my resilience. You're also saying, I wouldn't want my kids to go through that. But yeah, you'd want your kids to have your resilience in some way because you don't want them to think. Yeah. So where's that happy medium, do you think? Yeah, that's... Building resilience in your own children. Great yet, question. Yet not having them experience the trauma that you've experienced to have that's that right. resilience. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, I learned the hard way. I learned how to be resilient the hard question way. Is, though, is there any other way? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Mindset. Yep. Putting yourself into situations that are uncomfortable and being comfortable with it. You know, you've got your David Goggins and all those gurus. Yep. Mate, there's reasons for the reason. There's yep. reasons for them to be preaching what they're preaching. Yeah. Because being comfortable, staying in your lane, staying, you know, watching your movies at night and being comfortable with your employment, they're all, that's, you're not going to grow. So I'll always push my children to put themselves into that uncomfortable zone. I'll give you an example. My son, my only son out of the five kids, um, he's such a weapon. Like, and he has his self doubt every now and then. And I got him into jujitsu. Highly recommend it for any parent. And once gets their, their children into something that is great for their development. Yeah. And we started putting him in comps. And the first comp he got tapped out, and he was crying, mate, like hysterical. He didn't want to do it ever again. Hurt his neck, all that sort of stuff. And then pushed him again to another one, pushed him again. And then he started to like it a little bit because he started to win here and there. Yeah. But I always told him that a loss is not a loss. A loss is a learning curve. And he ended up just recently, not long ago, won the state championships. So, he, so Miko, Miko just won state championships for his age group. And he actually had to go up uh, on the day, had to go up a weight heavier. It was incredible. Like... That is an example, you know, pushing your kids into something that makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable, but in a safe way, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Adversity and things in life are going to happen. And preparing them for those, for those times is huge as well. Mm. Being able to deal with it, you know, good. Like I feel like I deal with things in the most positive ways because maybe because I've had the loss, I've had, you know, the trauma, I'm not sure. I, I, I can't really sort of pinpoint exactly why I'm so good what I am but all I can say is the adversity I've caused along the way I don't want, expect anybody to go through what I've gone through mm. some of the stuff 
but you can set yourself up to be the best version of yourself with stuff by making this by making yourself feel uncomfortable in certain situations they're going to better you like cold and hot exposures as an example that's you know putting yourself into sort of the hurt locker when you're training not just going in there and just doing a couple of sets here and just getting you sweating up a little bit actually hurt yourself because that hurt is not hurting you unless it's obviously injury pain but if it's like pain from like doing a hard workout you yeah. are not you are not hurting yourself you're actually bettering yourself like i'll go and train and i'll make sure that i'm hurting most of the time you got to be smart about things you can't just do it all the time because you can get this you know you can overtrain. Mm. but when you are feeling good making sure that you're going that little bit extra yeah. because that's going to help you when something does come up like a death yeah. or anything a loss yeah, of anything, yeah. any type a job loss i just yeah. lost my job a couple of weeks ago yeah. What have I done? Sit there and bloody twiddle my thumbs. I'm working my ass off. So being able to sort of encourage your kids in that way is, is huge. But yeah, resilience is, is one of those things that you just got to keep working on. Yeah. And so you've touched on it a bit already, but like, and as you said, you've had many challenges, personal separations. We've just touched on physical injuries. And, and those that are close to you passing away. And you've even mentioned just now again, yeah, that there's many moments that you've grappled with in your own life. And I'm pretty sure I read that you've even grappled with those own thoughts of suicide in your own life as well. How have you managed your own mental well-being over the years? And do you actually have any daily rituals? Because I know you've even mentioned um, there's the only, the, one of the detoxes you need is a detox of the mind. So like, what are your daily rituals to do the detox of the mind or that keep you on track if you don't mind sharing? No, I don't, I don't mind sharing. Yeah, that was tough, tough part of my life, that, that moment where I felt like, felt like I was like wanting to end my life, but more so a bit unconscious with it as well. So just touching on that situation, I'd, I retired early from football. I was only 21 or 22. So all those dreams got taken away from me, you know, the, the, the pressures of trying to walk in my father's footsteps, broken up with my long-term girlfriend. And I was really good up until this point. Like I was just like an angel. Mm-hmm. Hardly drank. Only like partied every now and then. Didn't really drink when I was 18 or 19. And it just sort of hit me like at about 21, 22. I was sort of like, um, felt like I missed out on a lot of stuff. So I moved to Sydney and, and you can only imagine being exposed to all the stuff that I wasn't doing in my previous few years. So I, I, I sort of made up for it, really. And look, I was probably self-destruction as well, like yeah. just going down that path of self-destruction. And, and there was just a couple of you know moments where I was just like, oh, what am I doing type of thing. And then there was this one particular night where I was so down on myself with where I'd gotten to in my life. Like I was involved heavily with drugs, yeah, and you know, selling, taking, yeah, whatever else. Had, yeah, I was living the party life, and yeah, there was probably a moment there where I probably either wanted to not be here or just didn't care. So I took like I took too many sleeping tablets one night, and I thought I was like I thought I was Gonskis, mm. and that was a really really hard moment for me, being the person that I was and how strong I was leading up to like you know six months prior to that. So it made me like 
be a bit more aware, sort of similar to that story I was sharing before about that guy almost, you know, killing himself and just mm. waking up sort of scenario. So that that was a real that was that was huge for me. I I, I did really turn things around after that because that the was night like, you took to me. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was a massive pivot for me. And I started to change. It wasn't overnight. Yeah, I, I yeah. got myself away from all that sort of stuff and ended up getting back with my my ex partner and having three kids with her. And to answer your question about the daily ritual thing, like I I've been involved with a lot of different strategies and theories and and you know i've been studying this stuff for 20 something years and for me it's been like an ever-changing thing with the spirituality mindfulness stuff the training's always been the same that'll never change the training physical training the physical training will never change yeah i have my my own philosophies of that and i've learned along along the way and taken a little bit from different other people but the mindfulness stuff is a different one man like that's there's so many different gurus out there. There's so many mm. different people that think they know it. Like you can go down a massive rabbit hole. Like with the breathing, the yoga, like all that sort of stuff. Like I found a guy, would have been 10 years ago now, and he was ahead of his time. Still is, I believe. Some of his stuff is old school. His name's Paul Check, C-H-E-K. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've I've done a lot of his work. Stuff. And yep. yeah, he's, he's like this guy who's like, you know, got abs and, you know, shoulders above like shoulders. Big rocks up. Yeah, like he's a rock stucker. <laughs> yeah, he's a rock But he's the most spiritual man I've ever met. Yep. So like he, the way he does things is pretty much how I've adapted my lifestyles. So I don't go as extreme as him. Like he talks to his food before he eats it and stuff like that. Like he does a lot of soul connection and all that. I just take a, a, a little bit of his stuff away from like, I take a, like a little bit of his stuff into my practices. So like he does a lot of, Tai Chi. Yeah. I got into Tai Chi for a few years there. I does a lot of stretching, walking, meditation. There's there's heaps, man. There's heaps that he does, he does that I've done over the yeah. years, but not as consistent. So currently, on a daily basis, what would you do? Currently, on the daily basis, I have haven't been super strict with myself on that side of it. Unfortunately, have this men's group that I go to. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, and Saturday mornings. Yeah, that for me is really rewarding to to like to see guys change and see that I'm actually changing their lives. At the moment, man, you've you've you actually caught me on caught me out here. Like I haven't yeah. been doing a lot lately, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was to be doing something, I would definitely be doing the walking meditation. So, the walking meditation is a practice that I've used heaps before, where Every step you count, so say if you get to five steps of your breath in, you do five steps on your breath out, and when you're walking, you look around and you really like sort of take everything in, like if you've got birds around you or whatever it is, yep. and you do that for a while, and that's been really good for me in the past, but haven't done that for a while now. I believe with... Because there's a lot of things, a lot of things happening for me at the moment. Yeah, I believe I've stopped my mindfulness stuff just due to that. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. Like you can go, it goes in waves for me. Mm. Like I can be really in tune with myself, and I can be doing my daily meditations, or I can be doing Tai Chi again. But that that for me, like I probably have time to do it and got the mental space to do it. But you've really caught me out here. I'm, practicing, no, I think I'm preaching all this stuff and not practicing yeah. it. No, but I think that there's, there's a good, there's a good, there's a good um, thing to take out of that, and that yep. is that because I can see you're still very fit, right? You're still in 
good condition overall. As you say, you've still got the men's group, so you're not completely disconnected from being connected, if if you like. But then the other side of it is is we do go in ups and downs and, and ins and outs. Like I, I, I don't, to be honest, what I've just started doing, but I'm not doing it properly or not doing it regularly enough is box breathing. Yeah. I, got I a, did that with the men's group. I, I befriended an, an, an 80-year-old, 15 black belt, guy, and he's like, dude, box breathing. He's teaching me a box, teaching me a box breathing technique. Um, but I don't do it every day. But I think one of the things is what we do is when we're not doing it is beat ourselves up. Yep. We're not beating yourself up and just going, okay, I didn't do it today. Okay, let's just do it tomorrow yep. or whatever that may be. And I think so I think a big part of what I'm taking out of what you're saying is that currently, you know, you're not doing anything. But that doesn't mean... You're not going to do something, and that doesn't mean don't do it. It just means that it does come in ebbs and flows, and yeah, you don't necessarily do it all the time. But that doesn't mean don't ever do it. It just means okay, I'm not. Let me just find my feet again and start again. In I tell you that one thing, man. Like, so that's why I'm more. I'm actually more curious from that. Is yeah. you said about the walking meditation, when you do come in, what you like if you were, let's say, you haven't done anything for a while, and then you're like. I mean, I know this, this one thing, this resets me and then I can get back in again. That may be that walking meditation. I tell you what, I don't think it's anything besides training. Physical I feel training. like when I've just reflected on it just now, because yeah. being consistent with something is the, is the most important thing. And you are consistent physical So training. Bob Proctor, I, I listened to a Bob, yep. Bob Proctor podcast. he passed away yeah. about a year ago. So. He's an amazing human being. He's, he's transformed a lot of lives with the secret and, and, and um, he the paradigm. He talks a lot about your paradigm. paradigm. Yeah, the paradigm. So the paradigm ones that I'm listening to recently, yeah. and he talks about consistency. And he, he was literally doing this podcast with Think and Grow Rich in his hand. He goes, I read this book every day. I have for the last 30, 40 years, every day. For somebody that's transformed so many people's lives and probably knows more than most, still Easy. every day consistently trying to better himself so if you find something say if i really enjoyed that walking meditation say if that really transformed me mm. if it was that some if it was that much of an interest to me and i knew it was good because i'm pretty disciplined mm. i'd still be doing it mm. but it, it, it wasn't so when i think about your question training Physical training pain. is what keeps me intact and disciplined and makes me my resilience better and it makes me feel like i've got a purpose training is it and yep. that's me though that's you know that yep. maybe that walking meditation could work for somebody and they'll have to do that for the rest of their life three yep. times a week four times a week every day but it's not mine and when i reflect on it and answer your question properly training is my my thing mm. that is my my well-being daily routine sometimes i don't train and i feel like shit but if I don't do it, if I am doing it, I know that I'm, like you said, that you feel like I'm in good nick. Well, I feel like for the age I am and how the amount of injuries and the adversity I've gone through, I feel like I'm doing great. Mm. But if I didn't train, I wouldn't be. Say if I was just to do that walking meditation every day, I wouldn't be in good nick. Yeah. Because I feel like the amount of food that I eat, I need to do the physical activity. <laughs> no it's more so for the mind as well so they're my daily practices i want to make sure i'm training and what, what is your case okay, so what is your training routine regime oh even vaguely sometimes i jump into the men's group i jumped into the men's group yesterday so 
just to, and I do that on Saturdays, just to show the boys that, you know, leading, leading by example. Every day lasts, well, most days, the last two weeks, I've done Shelly Beach Sandhills. So I'll go and do the Sandhills either in the morning or night, yeah. and then I'll jump in the gym um, to supplement that. So some days I'll do a dub session. So some days I'll do the hills in the morning and gym in the afternoon, or gym in the morning, hills in the afternoon. And that's not every day, yeah. but that's just been recently. Yeah. So in the gym, I always keep it functional. I'll do compound movements where you don't want to squat, um, bench, dead, all that sort of stuff. So I'll keep my strength up, but I'm always putting a twist in. I'm always putting a single leg in or a single arm or on a Swiss ball. Yep. I'm always trying to keep it functional because the functionality side of it, if you've got to try and use your core as much as you can, that's going to help you in the long run. Yep. So like I said, I want to be doing this when I'm 80. So yeah, my daily training regime always changes because I, I, I have to, like I, I need to mix it up. I can't just train in the same place or, you know, like do the same movement. Yep. I'll do always mix it up. So uh, I went for a surf yesterday. First time I've gone for a surf in a while, but I really enjoyed it. So I'll probably get back into that again. I was yes. boxing at the start of the year. Yeah, yeah. Getting, I was getting ready for a fight. I injured myself, mm. so I didn't end up having the fight. And that was like a good, a good thing for me because it was a bit competitive as well. Mm. So I've done jujitsu before. Yeah, um, really yeah. enjoyed that. But I've always like just always reverted back to the gym stuff, man. Like that's, you know, me against me, putting myself in the hurt locker. If I don't put myself in the hurt locker, I feel like I haven't achieved anything. And that keeps me in shape. It keeps me in shape physically and mentally. Mm. So like that's that's my that's my sort of go to. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I know it's not because I train a lot of people and I don't know, I know they don't like going in the hurt locker, but it's my philosophy. Because if you think about it, right? You're putting yourself in that uncomfortable position I was talking to you about before. Mm. You're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position and you need to be comfortable with that, right? You're betting yourself physically, so you're always going to be lower calorie deficit because you're like pushing yourself hard. And internally, your organs are going to be better for it because they're getting trained as well. So it's like a win-win really. It doesn't sound nice, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's once again exactly that, right? You've... um you got to find what you like and stick with it, right? Because for some people, having your physique may not really interest them. No, that's I mean? right. But the walking meditation may. Like, it's, you've, you've really got to find what you're happy to stick with. It's very, yeah, it's individualized for sure. Yeah. But, and, I, and I think from your experience, from what you're saying and from my own experience, is you will keep that up potentially more if you find a community around what you'd like to do accountability yeah so you're accountable to at like if you're in a hole if you're not being the best version of yourself you're more than likely unaccountable to anything you're unaccountable to a partner you're not accountable to a coach not accountable to a sporting coach or anything like that so it's you versus you and if you're not pushing yourself you don't have that accountability mm. for you to change it's really hard mm. really hard for you to go all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. But you join a group like the men's group, mm. or you join a gym with like a nice group in it that you see the same people all the time. You start to have that accountability. Oh, where's Luke today? Mm. Why isn't he in? You mm. know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do so definitely. accountability is huge around that. Yeah, definitely. It's what I'm lacking. I think I'm accountable to myself. Yeah, but that's 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 programming throughout the years. It's taken to get there. It's taken a lot. Taking a lot of discipline, education, 
you got to figure out what your why is as well. Yeah. You know, the five whys. Yeah. Like what's, it's a lot of people don't, five, have never done that before. Five times ask why. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why do you work? To feed yeah. the kids. Why do you feed the kids? You know, it just goes on. That's right. You ask yeah. yourself five times why. You know, like it can, it can lead to root causes of why you do things, mm. which helps. Yeah. I think I might be leaving here asking myself why five times, mate. You got to write it down, bro. You got to write it down. Yeah. Write it down, write it down. It's yeah, powerful. Yeah. Oh, that was another, sorry, I just, yeah. journaling has helped me in the past. Yeah. But again, I'm not, I haven't been super consistent with it, but writing down my thoughts and feelings, my it's daily. It's funny you say that too. I was thinking about that the other day because like my wife is really good at like, I'll see her there writing in a gratitude journal and that sort of yep, stuff, yep. you know. I'm not, I've hit and miss over the years. I'm hit and miss with that sort of stuff. Yeah. But in really crappy situations over the years, what I've found helped the most is just writing page after page after page after page. And I don't even know where that stuff is. I don't know. I think at one point, you know, when I've broken up with a girlfriend or somewhere, the, or whatever it is that's made me feel like terrible. And I just know, you know, I've just... um. Yeah, I've written for pages. Like I haven't done it for a long time because thankfully I haven't felt the need. But yep. I have felt the need probably, I don't know, five years ago or something. I did the same thing. And I think I actually burnt the paper after I did it. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote yep. and then just burnt the paper. Yeah. And sort of was like the burning of the paper for me was like, that's it. Like I've spilled all this out now. Let me just burn it and that's it. Gone. It wasn't an immediate, oh yeah, it's gone. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't feel that way. But there was a ritual in it. I did do that as a bit of a ritual, funnily yep. enough, to say, like, this, I've just got to get rid of this. This is, like, it's not helping me. Yeah. You know, this way of thinking, this way of being or whatever that was at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I must say I've, I've that journaling side of things. Not but for everybody. I've only, I've only used it in times of really when I'm really not feeling good, you know. But imagine using it in times where you're feeling great. Prevention's mm. 10 times Better than, greater the than cure. cure. So yep. you got to look at ways 100%. to not get yourself back in that hole. Mm. So there's, Definitely. there's heaps, man. There's so yeah. much you can do. And trying to find that thing is the hardest part. And in that, is there anything you think more people should understand between the connection between the physical and mental well-being? Uh, they're very much connected. So I believe if you're physically well you're mentally well i've yeah. seen time and time again from when i owned my gym like i've i reckon i've potentially trained over 2000 people easily mm. and from time and time again i've always noticed if somebody's getting stronger in the gym like whether it be on the bench press or whether it be on the run or whether like whether it be if they can see some results they're mentally getting stronger and making better food choices and being more present for their family and having better conversations, mm. opening up a bit more. I can see the confidence exuberate from them just from being stronger in the gym. So that connection, I can only really talk from the physical side to the mental side. I'm not a, a yogi or I'm not a, um, a guru in that other space. I, I go into that other space when I need to and yep. I don't coach it. Because yep. I get a breath coach in to do all my breath work at the men's group. Yep, yep. But I can only speak from the physical to the mental. So if you're physically better, you're going to be mentally better mm. from what I've seen. 
from the other side, yeah, the massive possibility. If you're like doing all your mental stuff that's going to help, it might lead into your physical. But I can only speak from what I can see, people getting stronger in the gym and how that leads into their life on a mental side of things. So, yeah. Yeah, that, it, it's interesting. I have seen a lot of that. Like even, I mean, albeit a lot of people, he, he's very, he can divide a conversation and divide a lot of things, but there's someone like Andrew Tate that talks yep. about get abs and you'll feel better. So I haven't heard like, a lot of his stuff. I'm, he he talks about get physically fit and then come and see me. If you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling whatever, get physically fit and then let's see where you're at. Yeah. Because he feels a big part of that is. You're using that as a foundation. The foundation yep. is get physically fit. Yeah, look, I'd, I have yeah, I haven't heard a lot of that Andrew Tate stuff, but I'm, there's a lot of controversy yeah. around it's it. But massive. from what you've said just then, massive. that's, that's but great. Just, there's that that yeah. I, I pick up from that. Yep. I've heard heard mentioned. Yeah. So lastly, nearly everything you do in some way emphasizes the importance of a social network and we've spoken about it already, that community and the impact that it has on our well-being and overall health. One of the comments you made about social networks is if you feel like this is lacking in your life, then put yourself out there and bring some Dr. Happy into your life. Can you share some ways you feel individuals can enhance their social well-being by putting themselves out there, as you say, and especially in today's digital age where I think people were a bit reluctant, like, you know, even, I'll give an example, even for me starting when I originally started this podcast and reaching out, like it's quite daunting to go and put yourself sometimes in a social environment that you want to be in when you're not already in it. And probably from your men's group experience, how have you found, like, because there'd be people that want to join that, but feel like, oh, like, you're an outsider. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Become, be getting into that group? Yep. Um, so that's, a, that's a hard question because I feel like you need to be aligned within yourself to be able to have the confidence to go do something like that. Being socially connected to people doesn't mean being on social media. Yeah. I think the physical side of things, if you can physically be around other people, that's that's a good starting point. So going out and, and being a bit more open to, to catching up with people instead of texting them. So inviting them out for a coffee and having a proper conversation, putting your phone, leaving your phone in the car and talk about how you're going because you might catch somebody out about being like mentally bad or mm. having those problems and just let, having somebody open up to you or you opening up to the other person is like, that's, I think that's been lost in society. We always catch up with people by commenting on their photos on social media or you know, feeling like it's okay just to call them. Whereas having those social interactions, whether it's in a group or whether it's you know, with family, like I feel like you know, my family, just as an example, like we haven't caught up as a family we have recently because we had a death, but prior mm. to that, we used to have dinners all the time. But the the demands of life, the stresses, mm. the financial stresses, everybody just goes into a hole. And it's either like, oh, too expensive to go for dinner or oh, I don't want to clean up after everybody coming over. So sort of like starting with, you know, family and friends from that social aspect, going on to that Dr. Happy stuff, that Dr. Happy stuff, that's, 
that's real personal. That's like you making sure that you're doing things that make you happy. Like, for instance, yesterday I had that surf. That made me happy. I could have chose not to, but choosing to do something that makes you happy is huge. I feel like putting yourself into sort of certain situations where you might sacrifice something. Like, yeah, I sacrificed an hour or two of work, but I, I will now now be more productive because I had that hour or two to go do something that I love. Mm. So sacrificing some time to make you happier is going to be more productive in the long run. But the social side of it, man, I can't recommend my men's group any highly. Like if you're over 30 and searching for that purpose and wanting to get... And it's, it does seem daunting. I put up some videos where people are running up sand hills or mm-hmm. doing burpees and stuff like that. But the program itself is suitable for somebody that has never been to a gym before like there's literally somebody that's today started yesterday, sorry, has never been in the gym before. And there's three other guys in there that have done Ironmans before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the program, I can train in a group, anybody, on any level. So like when it when it becomes daunting for somebody to go join something like that, I just, you know, you just got to take the plunge. But it's easy said than done, man. You got to be aligned with yourself. You got to be like, I know you want to go to join that program to be the better version of yourself. But, you know, to answer that question on trying to uh, put yourself in those positions, don't start Monday, start today, you know, reach out. I think if you've that, been putting yeah. something off, do it right now. Like, there's no better time. That's all we have. We have is right now. Like, we can think about the past and the future and plan or, you know, reflect. But what, what's like right now, it's all you can control. It's the most important part. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Every, I know with this podcast, and I can only give my example a little bit with this too. Like, there's been instances where, like, to reach out to someone to interview them, like, and I'm like, got the email, and I'm like, do I hit send? Do I not hit send? And just sort of closing your eyes and hitting send. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. putting yourself in that. Like, if instinctually you want to do something, you've just sort of got to put yourself in it. I know. Within this, I've, I've ended up in positions where you sort of feel like an imposter because you feel like, oh, do I really belong here? And I think it takes a little bit to 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 do it a few times before you can go, actually, no, I'm all right. But don't ever feel like you're going to be comfortable straight away. That's just part of it, yeah. right? It's just part of doing something new is feeling uncomfortable and accepting that uncomfortable is fine. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. I've got, I've got a bit of that yeah. every now and then. It's hard. I get it at the moment. Like, I, I, I really want to learn to surf, right? But I don't surf. I did a surfing lesson. Was able to stand up on a nine foot, so I, I got there. But so, so if you didn't take that, if you didn't take that step to go down there, you'd be still sitting up at the top, going, "Oh, wherever you are, like at home." Yeah. Going, "Oh, I want to try surfing. I want to try surfing. Mm. I want to try surfing." But going and actually doing it and putting yourself in that sort of position felt comfortable, didn't it? But as soon as you got down there, so that's yes. the same scenario with the guys that I had to reach out with the men's group after the session, like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. It's like putting yourself into that position, mm. taking the plunge. It's the fear, false evidence appearing real. Yeah. You know, the only one way to face your fears, man, just jump in. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that, I'll try it again. Is it Mandangu? Mandangu. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so thank you, mate, for sitting down and sharing your no. story and having a chat. Yeah. Well, good. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Luke. All right, Lukey. Thanks, brother. Coffee with the Coastie.
is brought to you by On The Coast Publications, the publishing house for On The Coast families and On The Coast over 55 community magazines on the central coast of New South Wales.